episode of Fish Bites with me, Eli Sussman, your managing editor at Fish Stripes. You know where to find us by now. All episodes of the pod uploaded to the Fish Stripes podcast channel on whatever pod provider you're most comfortable with. Full coverage of the Miami Marlins on our website, fishstripes.com. You can find us on social media at Fish Stripes, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. The rapidly growing YouTube channel, Fish Stripes on YouTube, just barely a month on there and a lot of exclusive content that we only upload on that channel. Make sure to subscribe. Uh, our 2020 Marlins season preview is well underway and a very interesting wrinkle in that preview just thrown to us on Monday night with some transactions that we're going to cover in just a moment. A special announcement that we've already put up on the website and tried to promote, but making sure everyone is aware of Fish Stripes Night 2020, our first meetup at a Marlins game. It's going to be at spring training, Roger Jean Chevrolet Stadium in Jupiter, February 27th, Thursday night, February 27th, between the Marlins and the Mets. Very early on on the spring training calendar where we'll get a nice intersection of new veteran players just getting settled in with the Marlins as well as a lot of those premium prospects that are experiencing big league spring training for the first time. And they're all going to be together for that game on February 27th. We have partnered with the fine folks at Roger Dean for a group outing that allows us to get discounted tickets, both in the bleacher seats and in the reserves seats. Bleachers $14 each, reserved seats $27 each. And ordinarily, these would be $15 and $30. And we also have a deal where we save 25% off all the merchandise at the ballpark's team store. First meetup of the year, obviously, considering it's barely, it's not even going to be a week into the Grapefruit League calendar and trying to get as many of you as possible to come out on that Thursday night. Full details of that are on fishstripes.com. We're going to be collecting orders through Venmo. At fishstripes on Venmo is how you send payments for the tickets. All those details on the site. Just go to the homepage, fishstripes.com, and there's a post pinned near the top. Fish Stripes Night 2020. That's the full details about how to complete your order. I'll be giving you guys reminders about that in the upcoming weeks as well. Still a couple weeks until we lock in the full group order, but we hope to see you out there. Fish Stripes Night 2020. And uh, to bring the whole community together to finally watch some real baseball after what's been a really exciting offseason. The latest developments in that offseason coming up right now. It had been anticipated for more than a full week where the Marlins had reportedly agreed to terms with Brandon Kinsler, the veteran reliever, and Matt Joyce, the platoon outfielder, on free agent deals. 
And uh, those deals had been all but official for a while now, so much so that they'd been finalized and both players had gone on MLB Network Radio to discuss their new deals even before they had been announced. So everything was all said. We were all just anxiously awaiting the corresponding roster moves. That's been a, a, a point of a lot of intrigue throughout this entire offseason where the Marlins have had this completely full 40-man roster. Every time they add somebody new, they have to get rid of somebody old. And in this case, they need to clear two spots. That decision came on early Monday evening when they designated for assignment Harlan Garcia and Jose Quijada, two left-handers from their bullpen last year to make room for Kinsler and for Joyce. Plain level analysis on this is that Joyce and Kinsler will be better for the team in 2020 than Harlan and Quijada would, but both Kinsler and Joyce are on one-year deals, Kinsler one year with a club option, whereas Harlan Garcia had four years remaining under club control. Quijada had at least six years remaining under club control. Uh, Harlan just turned 27 years old, Quijada coming off his age 24 season, and um, age 23 season. Quijada is now 24 years old. So the Marlins favoring some veteran players, and it's uh, we've been encouraging the team, of course, to get better in 2020, and um, they had to give Kinsler a guaranteed deal as expected, his $3.25 million guarantee for 2020, and the Matt Joyce deal was also a guaranteed deal kind of filling the role of the newly retired Curtis Granderson, who just announced his retirement last week. Joyce is going to be starting a couple times a week in the corner outfield spots and very frequently pinch hitting, um, but they had to take an extra step with him. He was coming off a, a very strong year with the Braves, and even though he's now 35 years old, they to win the bidding for him, to actually prevent him from going back to the Braves, Joyce has said that he was interested in returning to Atlanta, they had to give him a, a guaranteed major league deal coming into camp, and he's guaranteed $1.5 million, and Max is out at $1.75 million, which is right on the nose what the Marlins paid for Granderson last year, and, and Granderson, frankly, just was a little washed up at that point and wasn't productive with Joyce, even though he's still on in age, he is... The numbers, as we wrote, wrote up on the website, we had an article from Juan Paez about some interesting stats for Joyce. As long as you put him in a platoon situation and he's facing right-handed pitching, he's going to be productive. And as long as Marlins stick with that, um, and he seems to be okay with accepting that role, he's going to be productive and he's going to help their offense, especially in high-leverage situations. Again, both of these signings had been anticipated for about a full week. The delay had been kind of awkward because they needed to make that announcement prior to FanFest coming up on Saturday, and now they finally did. The The big surprise is that Harlan was one of the ones DFA'd because he is coming off a great season, his best major league season. Uh, you'll remember Harlan emerging in 2017 at a time when the Marlins farm system was so dry he was actually a starting pitching prospect, but they called him up as a reliever to fill a need in the bullpen in 2017, and he was great for most of that year. Struggled at the very end of it when the team had basically been eliminated anyway from sneaking into the wild card, and he he's had a really interesting ride the last few years because after that year in the bullpen, um, 
when the rebuild got underway entering 2018, the team gave him an opportunity to start because they had been, well, under previous ownership and development, they had been preparing him to be a starter for most of his career. Entering 2018, when the rotation was wide open, they gave him a shot to earn a job in spring training. He just missed out, but still made the roster as a reliever. And he took um, the world by storm very briefly for about one month span. He moved into the rotation and he was unhittable. He His first career start in uh, April of 2018, six innings pitched, zero hits allowed. Um, the only Marlins pitcher in history to do something like that in their very first start and on the short list of any players to do that. And this one popped up left side, will stay in play, and this, by a long shot, by the way, that's Rojas to put that one away for the third out of the sixth inning. That's six innings without allowing a hit for Harlan Garcia. He followed that up with another scoreless outing, allowing only one hit against the Yankees, and that's when he really jumped on people's radar. The Yankees! In a year where the Yankees were one of the best teams in baseball, another quality start after that against the Dodgers, another quality start after that against the Phillies. I'm looking at the stats just to to relive how insane that was. Uh, the key was he was keeping the ball in the ballpark, he was keeping the ball on the ground, wasn't really missing bats, but uh, they thought they really had something early on in 2018, and he uh, regressed pretty big time right after that. He was hit so hard in May, and um, then it was right after his June 1st outing that he had to get demoted to AAA for a couple months, and it was a really inconsistent year, to say the least, in 2018. Um, they gave him a couple more opportunities to earn him what his way back as a starter in AAA, but he continued to struggle, and so pretty much since late 2018 to the present, they um, they settled on him as a reliever. But he did really well in that role in 2019. Um, I mean, the first place you start when you look at pitchers is probably the ERA, a 3.02 ERA, which is the lowest out of anybody that had consistent relief work for the Marlins last year. But that's probably not the most important place you want to look if you're evaluating a reliever. Uh, you want to see someone that keeps the ball in the ballpark, and that's what Harlan did. Only four home runs allowed in 2019 in 50 and two-thirds innings pitched. And you want to look at how he does when he inherits runners, because that is not reflected in your ERA, but that goes a long way to determining whether that reliever was effective and whether the team ultimately wins in those high leverage situations that the reliever enters in. And he was awesome at stranding base runners. He made it, I believe, more than halfway through the year before he allowed a single inherited runner to score. And um, I guess some reflection of his 2017 season he did struggle a little bit at the very end but there weren't all really any warning signs about the quality of his stuff uh, the whole year he didn't allow a single unearned run as well so there's there's no blame to be put on his defense either um about him being worse than some of the numbers would indicate he was a legitimately above average relief pitcher on a team that at that end of the year after they traded away Sergio Romo and Nick Anderson um there was pretty much nobody else Harlan was the best reliever definitively on the team over the final couple months of the year and he was affordable moving forward you thought he was you never builds around 
relievers, especially ones like Harlan who don't really miss bats. I mean, 39 strikeouts over 200 batters face below average strikeout rate and uh, an average fastball velocity, a breaking ball that gets a lot of soft contact, but doesn't really miss bats. Um, he, he just seems like a very nice role player to have, especially because in 2020, he's still not arbitration eligible yet. They would have had him under control for this coming season at barely over the league minimum. And if you're a reliever and you're not working in safe situations, you know, despite Harlan's success uh, these past few years, he's never really been put in a closer's role. He's always been setting up. Um, those relievers are very affordable through arbitration as well. So th- this is a guy that even in 2021, 2022, um, he'd be cheaper than someone like Brandon Kinsler would be. Um, not just a drop in the bucket when you're building out a, a full, complete pitching staff. And uh, now he's DFA'd um, just so that people don't overreact too much. We're at a point in baseball transactions where it's becoming increasingly common to DFA uh, a player that you're about to trade, even if you don't have a specific trade lined up at that moment. I guess a, a recent example would be the new Marlon Corey Dickerson when he was with the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, it, it floored everybody coming off an all-star year when he was DFA'd, and it turned out that they were actually making a trade for him just a few days later. It used to be that the DFA was guys that were essentially getting cut or on the very fringes of the roster, and um, that's not necessarily the case anymore. So um, one one particular grievance that it was brought to my attention by multiple people is uh, why Harlan Garcia instead of someone like Adam Conley. You do the head-to-head comparison, and Garcia was um, infinitely better than Conley was last year. And even over the past few seasons, Harlan has more relief experience. He's younger. He has more years of control. Why? Why? Why would they choose Conley over Garcia? And the best way for me to articulate it is that they're not choosing anybody over Harlan. Harlan, um, the way that the bullpen currently is, he is, was the best surviving reliever still intact from the 2019 team. But this is a year where the Marlins are not contending. They are not contending. They This team has a really interesting ceiling. If some of these young players uh, deliver, take steps forward, some of these top prospects immediately contribute. But there's no scenario where this team is contending, where they're spending at the trade deadline to continue adding. It's still one more year where their focus is on the long term. And if you're building a team for the long term, with precious few exceptions, you don't make relievers part of that long-term vision. They gave Harlan that shot to be a starter, and they came away realizing that his limitations would, would prevent him from succeeding in that role. Uh, he was fine as a reliever this past year, but not somebody that you make a priority moving forward um, because that position is just really volatile. It's hard to be consistently good reliever. It only, it's such a small sample size year in and year out um, that it's unpredictable. And sometimes when you have a player coming off a good year as a reliever, um, you need to make decisions about realistically where he's going to be moving forward. The Marlins have made a clear decision here that they think they're selling high on Harlan Garcia. They think this season he's coming off is as good as he'll ever be, that if they hold on to him any longer, that value will drop. And in return, they're looking to get more young talent in return. And now specifically, it will have to be players that don't require any space on the 40-man roster. 
I mean, that's really the impetus for this decision in the first place. They wouldn't, they weren't necessarily needing to sell Harlan Garcia right now, but with that decision that the 40 man is already crowded, that they like some of the non-roster invitees coming to spring training and they foresee um, having to clear additional spots between now and the start of the 2020 season, that now was as good a time as any to, to sell high on a player that was developed his entire career in the Marlins organization. Um, for other guys like Adam Conley, um, there's really not that many others left in this system. Uh, Ryan Stanick, they wanted to give these players an opportunity to rebuild their value before putting them on the trade market. Again, it's not choosing one or the other, and it's not with a focus on winning as many games as possible in 2020. They are looking to improve in 2020 from where they were last year, and they've spent the money to do that. Between Kinsler and Joyce and Dickerson and VR and Aguilar and Cervelli and, uh, and holding on to some of the other guys that they decided not to trade um, giving Jose Ureña a chance to find comfort in the bullpen as well. Uh, they're going to be a much improved team next year. They're just not going to obsess over winning every single game at the expense of their long-term future. So now we wait on Harlan Garcia seven days. By the time you're listening to this, six days, maybe even less than six days for them to settle his situation and find a partner he obviously will not be at FanFest anymore. Kinsler will. Matt Joyce will. The whole 40-man roster will. Uh, this 13, well, let's see. Some, there's some overlap between the 40-man roster and Captain's Camp, but some of these young prospects selected for Captain's Camp, they'll be at FanFest. It'll be a good time. It'll be unfortunate that Harlan is not there. There will be multiple teams interested in him just in the immediate aftermath. Um um, any number of teams could use Harlan. He'd be one of their top eight relievers. And if you're a team that is trying specifically to contend in 2020, those teams especially will show interest considering how affordable he is. And uh, even though he is due for some regression, I mean, that's that's part of the truth is that he's been pretty consistent in his career at managing the quality of contact, inducing a lot of soft contact, uh, avoiding the barrel of the bat, and that stuff is seems to be repeatable year after year, where in terms of like batting average on balls in play, he's consistently below 300 every single year that he's worked as a reliever, even dating back to uh, the minor leagues. Um, he has he a repeatable skill in terms of doing that. However, there was some luck involved in this past year. As I'd mentioned, the well below average strikeout rate um one key indicator I like to use from StatCast is the discrepancy between a pitcher's weighted on-base average and their expected weighted on-base average. And his he's had a gap that in that way uh, his whole career, but it was more pronounced than ever last year, allowing a uh, 259 weighted on-base average where the league average is like 317. So he was great in terms of actual results that he allowed. But if you look at the expected weighted on base, uh, based on the quality of contact that he allowed and how much contact he allowed, it was a 308 expected weighted on base average, which is much closer to being ordinary, being league average. And that gap will probably all be there pretty much throughout his entire career, as long as his he continues like this with this three-pitch mix and um, his stuff doesn't deteriorate. He'll, he'll continue to 
overachieve in that sense between those two numbers, but that gap last year of nearly 50 points doesn't seem sustainable to that degree. That's just one of the many indicators, I guess, that the Marlins have internally where they think that he's due to come down from this level of performance moving forward. Uh, The cautionary tale on this would be Nick Whitgren. Harlan is about the same age, about the same level of production that Whitgren had coming off his 2018 season. And uh, I was very much against them getting rid of of Whitgren at that time, um, considering the state of the bullpen that they had in. And that was a moment in the organization where all these pitching prospects were still far enough away that um, they just, there was not a lot of depth. There was not a lot of major league ready depth in the Marlins bullpen. And Whitgren was someone who I didn't think was expendable and who I didn't think had yet shown his full potential. They weren't selling high on Whitgren. And they ultimately get back a, a no-name uh, AAA reliever. Uh, Whitgren goes on to have an even better year with the Cleveland Indians last year. Not quite an all-star level, but not that far off. He saw a nice jump in his strikeout rate. And um, he, overall, he pitched very well. He would have been uh, yet an even better year than Harlan had over there in, in Cleveland. And if the Marlins had just held on to him to the trade deadline... Um, But getting back to the topic at hand, this move is a little bit more justifiable because of those reinforcements that are um, imminent coming from the minor leagues. There are some of these top prospects that will be pitching in the major leagues for the Marlins this year and who reasonably could be upgrades over their existing options, whether it's George Guzman in the pen or Alex Vesia, Dylan Lee, um, Tyler Stevens, some of these non-roster invitees, Pat Venditti. Uh, Ryan Cook. I mean, all these guys are intriguing for a variety of reasons. And for the most part, these are guys that can throw strikes, which is the big emphasis that the Marlins have had this offseason in remaking their bullpen. The timing of the decision is still surprising, but the longer I have to marinate on it, the, the easier it is to understand the motivations behind it. The big question is going to be what they get in return. Um, they've done um, an interesting job this offseason with a few different relievers of flipping them for rookie ball players from other organizations. Uh, they also did the same thing with Austin Dean. That was the biggest the biggest prospect that they acquired in these type of deals was Wheel Burgos from the Cardinals in exchange for Austin Dean, and he's immediately one of their top 30 prospects. That should probably be the bar for, for Harlan, is getting a guy in return that you can realistically project having a major league role it's going to have to be a non-40-man roster player, so someone that is presumably far away from the major leagues, and that makes it uh, a little unpredictable, and that's why teams don't always choose this kind of timing to make these decisions, because if you're prioritizing guys that are not on the 40-man roster and you still have this big crunch, then yeah, you're picking from a crop of players that are still pretty raw and still a little bit unpredictable. But uh, good luck to Harlan. Pitched extremely well this winter in the Dominican Republic, Dominican Winter League. He was really excited for this upcoming season. Unfortunate timing uh, for him personally in that he was just celebrating his eighth wedding anniversary on Monday. Well, So we'll have to find out where he goes, but uh, someone who's very easy to root for. Sending my best wishes to El Elefante. Uh, at the same time, the other reliever getting DFA'd in this process, Jose Quijada, 
uh, much younger than Harlan, much shorter track record in the majors, but even nastier stuff. As a rookie last year, struggled so much to throw strikes, but he did have a strikeout rate over 30%. Prior to his debut, very briefly, he was ranked at the very bottom of Marlins' top 30 prospects list. Especially MLB Pipeline liked his potential of being a, a shutdown reliever if he was able to get his uh, release point more in sync. Uh, put up a, a fielder independent pitching of nearly eight last year. There's no way to slice it that he was he was terrible when he got his opportunities in the majors last year, uh, but still very young. And still, when you're left-handed and you throw as hard as he does, I saw some fastballs last year, 97. I think he may have even touched 98 at times last season. And you have a decent breaking ball to go along with it. That's going to draw some attention. Not necessarily draw some interest, but it's going to draw some attention from other teams. At this stage of the offseason where most other 40-man rosters are are full, it's not necessarily a slam dunk that Quijada is going to get claimed by another team. Um... Then again, I was a little surprised that uh, Tyrone Guerrero was claimed by another team. Um, I've been a little surprised across the board of how these relievers have been valued this offseason. Guys that have been rejected by the Marlins and yet still found homes other way, other places. So um, if I was to lean one way or the other, I'd say maybe 55-60% chance that Quijada gets claimed on waivers by another another team, considering he does have two more minor league options remaining. That is a big nugget. So as long as the team can get him most of the way through spring training without blocking anybody else on the rosters, then they can simply option him to AAA to work out the kinks in his delivery. So his DFA is one that is more obvious considering the struggle that he had to throw strikes how much of an emphasis that has been for the marlins this offseason in turning over their full bullpen is they want to throw guys that can repeat their delivery and get ahead in counts it's can be difficult to teach that kind of thing and um even for someone as young as quejada they're going to roll the dice hope that he makes it through waivers and then they'd be able to simply outright him to the minors and off of their main roster uh, what, what's interesting is that Quijada, just like Harlan Garcia, he had been in the organization for a long time. Harlan was here ever since the summer of 2010. Quijada had been here since 2013, signed originally out of Venezuela. And uh, to, to close out this episode, a little bit shorter than our typical Fish Bites episode, I wanted to take inventory of who's left, who has survived the ownership transition that took place in the fall of 2017. Last month on the podcast, an episode of Earning Their Stripes, I spoke with left-hander Braxton Garrett, the former first-round draft pick, and and he joked that the the players that are still here are are aware of all the turnover that has taken place in what's been about two and a half years since Derek Jeter, Bruce Sherman, and their group officially took charge of the ownership and reimagined the front office as well and totally changed the priorities for team building and that's led to a lot of movement obviously the big blockbuster trades from the 2017-2018 offseason but even on the fringes you've seen uh, former guys guys get released who um, had previously been considered uh, notable prospects a lot of these trades um, of a lower profile and others just designating for assignment um, players that used to be forecasted as role players that have now been made expendable 
by the superior talent coming up through the farm system, uh, different drafting priorities and philosophies that have so far, the very early returns of these draft classes under the new group have been very promising. Um, for that reason, just by the simple passage of time, that is the reality in baseball these days where it's very rare for anybody to spend their whole career with a single organization. But the the staggering rate of this turnover is still a little bit alarming. Consider that there are, what, about 200 players under contract with a major league organization at any given time throughout all levels of the majors and the farm system, and that we're down to just a few dozen, a few dozen players that were here in the summer of 2017 and um, are still here with the Marlins as we prepare to enter 2020 spring training next week. Uh, thanks very much to Roster Resource on Fangraphs. They, they have a great page that allows you to keep track of all these biographical details about these players. Uh, in particular, a column um, making sure you see with all the 40-man roster players, with all the non-roster top prospects at every single position, it, it gives you a quick snapshot of when they were acquired and how they were acquired by the organization. Uh, the official announce, official press conference, the introductory presser that Jeter and Sherman did with the Marlins was a couple days after the 2017 regular season. So that's going to be our cutoff point in terms of distinguishing who was inherited from the old regime and who has been acquired since then. And it's really a, a slim group that are surviving from the previous organization. Now that Harlan Garcia and Jose Quijada are uh, on their way out the door, um, we look at who is still here for the time being. Uh, Harlan was the second longest tenured player in the entire organization, nine and a half years. The only one who hasn't beat in that category and who's still here for now, <laughs> although not someone that you can really expect them to build around much longer, is Jose Oreña, signed out of the Dominican Republic in August of 2008. So he was 16 years old at that time. He has spent close to half of his life as a professional pitcher in the Marlins organization, still with a couple of years remaining under team control. The public comments from Michael Hill have suggested that he is being viewed as a reliever for this team, that they like their young, controllable starters even more than him. And he's going to try to build on what happened last September when he saw a nice spike in his velocity. But overall, he, he struggled in that relief role. So he's going to get an opportunity to earn a high leverage role entering this year, but remains very much on the trade block as well if there are other teams that view him as a starter. Uh, more likely contributors to the 2020 Marlins, Adam Connolly. He was drafted way back in 2011. Do I have that right? Yes, the second round pick in 2011. And of course, the Marlins thought for a long time that they were getting a hard-throwing left-handed starter out of him. But uh, we've reached a point where it took going back to the bullpen for his velocity to come back. And he had a terrible 2019 season. But as mentioned before, the Marlins see potential in him, and they don't want to sell low on him. He'll have an opportunity to reestablish himself, um, reestablish, I guess at least reclaim his 2018 form where, when he was a solid late-ending option. Right-hander Drew Steckenrider, drafted back in 2012, has had some really high points during the 2018 season. 
when and he even had some brief closing experience for this team but 2019 went off the rails pretty quickly suffered an elbow injury finished the year with that elbow injury avoided surgery but still a big question mark heading into his age 29 season Brian Anderson, of course, drafted and developed by the Marlins organization since 2014. He'll be splitting time this year between right field and third base. He'll be batting in the middle of the order, coming off a a pair of good seasons at the major league level, looking for that true breakout here in 2020, hopefully with more over-the-fence power. Could be a nice beneficiary of the fences coming in in center field and in right center. Very excited for his upcoming season. Miguel Rojas was traded for as part of that D. Gordon trade more than five years ago. So that certainly dates back to before the ownership change. Not thought of much initially as a bitty role player, fringy infielder, and that that perception has changed. He has worked himself into a borderline everyday player. So I'll be curious to see his role this year. Spent last year as more or less the regular shortstop, but now with a nice supporting cast around him, he may drift back more into that utility role as the year goes on. Uh, Under contract for this year and for next year, the heart and soul of the team, the honorary captain, if you will. Uh, A couple more major leaguers that had their roots in this organization before the new ownership arrived, Jeff Brigham, who I am very high on, and I'm going to continue reminding you about Brigham because his stuff is nasty. It moved to the bullpen last year uh, so that he could focus on his fastball slider combo uh, through those pitches each about 50% of the time to keep opponents off balance, and he piled up a lot of whiffs last year. He also issued too many walks, and the overall results are very pedestrian, but I believe very much in his potential Um, if kept in this relief role. He'll be entering his age 28 season, and he was initially acquired in a trade um, from the Dodgers organization. Pablo Lopez as well. Pablo Lopez, just a few months before the ownership change, he was one of the pieces in the David Phelps trade, and he wasn't even the headliner in that trade either. Just like Brigham, I'm very high on Pablo Lopez. He stays healthy. I believe he is going to be one of the better starters on this team, if not the best starter on this team acquired in July of 2017 and he's just entering his age 24 season he's got the opportunity to keep getting better we have a video going up uh almost immediately after this recording of his pitch arsenal as part of our series that we've been putting up on youtube uh his four seamer sinker curveball change up it's a nice combination and uh, i believe very much in his stuff and in his mentality on the mound then throughout the farm system, there are still some guys left over from the old regime, uh, just kind of going in order of the ones who have been here the longest. Stone Garrett, outfielder, spent this past year with Double A Jacksonville. He was arguably the best overall player uh, in in games, at least for Jacksonville last year. They're at least the best position player. Never really viewed, um, at least in recent years, as one of their top prospects. He was very briefly. Uh, when the farm system was at its nadir and there wasn't all that much surrounding talent around him. But he had a nice bounce-back season last year to prominence where he showed great potential um, defensively, especially some of the best catches that you'll ever see at the wall playing in the corner outfield spots. Jordan Holloway was drafted way back in 2014. 
he's on the 40-man roster. I see him being a very impactful reliever further down the road, but uh, he's had some issues throwing strikes even before and after Tommy John surgery. We'll see what happens there. Somehow Tyler Kolek is still in the organization. He's the former first-round draft pick. This coming year, the Marlins are selecting third overall in the draft. Kolek was the number two overall pick. This will be their biggest opportunity since Kolek six years ago to get a, a franchise cornerstone in the draft. He has been the furthest thing from a franchise cornerstone. Just hasn't had any success pitching in games in his pro career. Uh, he was drafted out of high school, so he's still relatively young, still 24 years old, but his body has been wrecked by injury. Um, most recently, the issue was that thoracic outlet syndrome. Uh, I think even before that, he had had elbow issues as well. He hasn't fully regained that velocity that he had coming out of high school when he had triple-digit heat last year, sitting more in the high 80s and low 90s. Uh, this is probably going to be his last year in the organization. I think he will be eligible for minor league free agency after the year, and I can't imagine the Marlins would make it any priority to hold on to him. He he hasn't pitched anything resembling a full season in any role. Uh, Edward Cabrera, who is uh, one of the consensus five best prospects in the entire Marlins organization right now, coming off a great breakout season in 2019, Always had great fastball velocity ever since he was signed as an amateur. So you got to credit the old regime a little bit for paying about $100,000 as a signing bonus to to get him. And he made some interesting strides in 2018 as a starter in Greensboro, but he really took off last year with Jupiter and in Jacksonville. Um, somewhat surprisingly, it's been because he has um, temp- tempered down his velocity a little bit to find more precise command and it's also because of the progress that he's made with his secondary pitches um, particularly his changeup because his changeup was a big question mark even entering last year and he reached a point where he's now getting more swings and misses and ground balls off of that and his command his control both took big steps forward last year that was reflected in the results and that has people thinking that he's going to be at the very least a mid-rotation starter for this Marlins team, uh, perhaps by the very end of this coming season. I think more likely in 2021, we see him in the majors. Gerard Encarnacion signed with the Marlins around that same time in 2015, and uh, he was even a lower-profile acquisition at the time, and he was completely off the radar uh, at this time a year ago. But a big breakout season as a corner outfielder between Clinton and Jupiter last year, and now definitively one of their better overall offensive prospects. Um, For me, the big sticking point is whether that designated hitter comes to the National League, as had been recently reported. It won't be here this year, probably won't even be here next year, but the year after that in 2022, I think that's important for Girard because he does have some limitations as a defensive outfielder, but this guy can really mash the ball. He showed that throughout the 2019 regular season. He showed it in the Arizona Fall League really exciting guy. Braxton Garrett, friend of the podcast, drafted in the first round in 2016, coming off a great year in Jupiter after fully recovering from Tommy John surgery. He is all the fundamentals that you look for from a starting pitcher. And now that he's healthy, he has a really high ceiling once again. And a lot of people believing that he has a bright future 
ahead of him. Um, frankly, I wouldn't be shocked if long-term, out of all the great pitching prospects in the organization right now, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up having the best career. Even though he had that elbow injury, fully recovered, still only 22 years old, um, with um, perhaps the best curveball that anybody throws at any level of this organization he seems a really safe prospect moving forward that you'll be seeing in the major leagues not too far from now Uh, former draft picks as well in 2016 dylan lee who has once again been invited to major league spring training uh, especially with harlan garcia now moving out the door it leaves the marlins very short on left-handed pitchers of any kind on their current roster Lee has performed pretty well in the high minors each of the last two years. He will very likely be pitching in the major leagues this season. It's again going to be a question about finding a spot for him on the roster, but his performance has been good. And the reason why you would think that the Marlins are so comfortable clearing out talented pitchers like Garcia and even more so someone like Jose Quijada is because they believe they have internal options that are better suited to jump in and contribute right away. So Dylan Lee would be one of those candidates. Thomas Jones, very athletic outfielder who quietly played very well at the end of the 2019 season in Clinton, a pivotal year in his career upcoming when we expect him to be at high A Jupiter. Uh, Another reliever, Chad Smith, Colton Hawk as well. Both those guys drafted under the old regime and they've been in the middle of the minor league system for a while now. We'll see if they take a step forward here in 2020. Luis Palacios, the lefty signed out of Venezuela, who to this point has only been pitching at rookie levels, but has eye-popping stats. Impossible to get on base against him, impossible to hit the ball out of the ballpark against him. It's been basically impossible for anybody to score against Luis Palacios um, in the Marlins organization this year. But so far, he's been contained to the Dominican Summer League, to the Gulf Coast League. Lifetime 1.12 ERA. He He's going to be a fascinating player to follow this coming season as he advances to higher levels of competition. 19-year-old left-handed pitcher Luis Palacios. Make sure to keep an eye on him. Um, Trevor Rogers, top draft pick in 2017. Remember that draft came before the ownership transition. And he performed great last year with Jupiter and with Jacksonville. Long, lean, left-handed pitcher that um, has a, a fastball that he he works off his fastball and has a lot of success spotting it on either side of the plate and his delivery his slurvy breaking ball he's really intriguing moving forward he could be very quick to the big leagues maybe not the same high ceiling as some of these other pitching prospects but he's he gives you a very unusual look and he's coming off great success in a full season brian miller was drafted right after him in 2017 we had an expanded article already up on him as part of our season preview on fish stripes um coming off a season where he contributed consistently for double-A Jacksonville, but not really wowing you at this moment. His his role moving forward is a little murky, considering all the other outfield depth that the Marlins have in their system. He'll simply need to hit more. It's, uh, it's as simple as that, making more solid contact than he did this past season. 
shortstop Demetrius Sims coming off an, an interesting breakout year when the Marlins had some injuries in their middle infield last season. Um, he hit for a decent amount of power, showed great on-base skills, and um, a little bit older relative to his level of competition. But Demetrius Sims was part of that draft class under the old ownership. Brady Puckett, a tall right-handed pitcher who's going to be coming off of Tommy John surgery this coming year, but performed very well right before going down with that injury. And reliever Vincenzo Aiello, also part of that 2017 draft class. He was part of the contingent that went to the Arizona Fall League this past year. And he'll be um, not invited at this moment to Major League Spring Training. But he will um, presumably be one of the first guys up when an opportunity presents itself during the season. Because he's he's had some interesting success down the stretch with A Jacksonville in 2019. That about covers it. I mean, we were able to get through all those names with some descriptions in just uh, one segment. Uh, it's been a total revamp of this entire organization. The skill sets that this new leadership values, and uh, obviously the window of contention, finding players that are still going to be under control, uh, particularly for 2021 and beyond, when this organization is ready to take that big leap forward at the major league level. Repeating my announcement from the top of the show, we have Fish Stripes Night coming up Thursday, February 27th at Roger Dean Stadium in Jupiter. Full details on the Fish Stripes homepage, fishstripes.com. Payments completed to Fish Stripes on Venmo. We hope to see you there. Coming up on the Fish Stripes podcast, we're going to be getting back into the swing of things with Earning Their Stripes, hosted by Ian Smith, Ethan Badowski, Spencer Morris, and with yours truly making appearances from time to time, that show dedicated specifically to minor league coverage. Now that we have a, a full look at what this organization is going to be heading into the 2020 season with the Harlan Garcia trade still pending, we're going to analyze what to look forward to on the minor league side here in 2020. So much talent at so many positions. It will be a lot of fun this coming weekend. Fan Fest at Marlins Park to meet all the new guys and uh, just have a, a great time with your fellow Marlins fans. We will have staff members in attendance and we'll be talking a lot about that on the next Fish Bites episode coming up. Thanks as always for your support. Subscribe if you don't already. Rate and review if you use Apple Podcasts. This is Eli Sussman. Go Fish!